Welcome to Ghoul's Night Out with your hostesses, Brandy and Jody. Hello, beautiful ghouls. Welcome. This is Brandy. I'm here with my sister, Jody. Hello. So I have some wild, like the wildest conspiracy theories that people have heard of. Okay. And I want to know if you've heard of these because these are so dumb. Okay. <laughs> okay. So rocks are soft until touched. The dumbest, but still my favorite. What? That's a conspiracy theory. Why? Apparently. I know. Why would they harden up just because you touch them? I don't know. Like, it's a, maybe they think it's alive and that's a defense mechanism. Oh, my God. That's what, I mean. Whatever. Well, I know, <laughs> but. That's, stupid. <laughs> well, I got, like, a bunch more. So. Okay. Traffic barrels are left up for so long because the Department of Transportation bought too many and have no place to store them. <laughs> oh, my God. That could be, I mean, it could be a thing. Maybe. But why? Yeah. Why would they, and people run over those things a lot. Oh, yeah, they do. You'd think they would go through them by now. (laughs) Okay, uh, Giselle Bündchen is an actual witch, and she has hexed Leonardo DiCaprio after they broke up so that he would never be able to date anyone older than she was when they broke up. (laughs) I think I could find a a better curse than that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's just a perv. <laughs> and he's, like, t- so trying to hold on to his 20s. Like, so bad. I mean, yeah, it makes sense, right? Because yeah. he was so big in his 20s and 30s, mm-hmm. and maybe he thinks that if he, you know, dates younger women, he'll feel like he's still in his... That's sad. It is sad. That's just pervy. Walt Disney was uh, cryogenically frozen, and they made the movie Frozen so that when people Googled Walt Disney Frozen, the movie would come up first. Oh, my God. Why would he... He doesn't care. No. He's dead. He no. doesn't... He does not care if his name comes up first. I know, like, what? <laughs> I guess maybe his family. I, I don't know. <laughs> so stupid (laughs) uh the truck driver that delivered my flooring gave me this gem the push for green lawns in the u.s by big pharma to get green grass you need pesticides pesticides cause cancer cancer is good for business for drug companies it was like a 20 minute long rant to get to that conclusion it was an adventure I had a coworker that fully believed the government controls the weather so celebrities can have nice weddings. Oh my god. What? How? I mean, unless we live in a giant bubble that we're not aware of, the weather cannot be controlled. No. The 5G waves emitted by the emergency broadcast test activate the covid vaccine microchips and turn people into zombies. This one is definitely one of the weirdest I've ever heard. Yeah, you should have saw. Did you see TikTok around that time? People, I mean, they were coming up with all kinds of shit. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> it's like, really, people, just people chill out. Uh, that Finland doesn't exist. Hmm. That's just rude. Tell that to the Finland people. <laughs> the, are they Finnish? Oh, yeah. Is that what they are? Yeah, Finnish. 
flat earth just everything about it oh my that's god that's a great one don't even get me started <laughs> we've already talked about that <laughs> and nasal eyes <laughs> <laughs> so dumb uh your social security number indicates which bank you were sold to at birth yeah i've heard that one uh, conspiracy 58 basically a conspiracy that the world cup from 1958 never happened in sweden as it was broadcast and it was a cia psyop the conspiracy is documented in the movie conspiracy 58 which makes a very compelling case until the very end of the credits where it claims to be the work of fiction with text only in swedish uh, people legitimately believe this theory now I've never seen Conspiracy 58. I haven't either. You have to look into that. Uh, that the Great Fire of London was actually started by a rat uh, spontaneously combusting. Okay. What? Did they do that? Uh, why would they? I don't know. The reason that people do, they say, is because of their alcohol content and most likely cigarettes or something. Yeah. I don't think rats smoke. I don't, or drink. I, don't think I could so be either. wrong. I don't know. No. Could be alcoholic rats running around <laughs> everywhere. I wouldn't know. <laughs> uh, some nut jobs have convinced themselves that every celebrity is trans. They point out all kinds of physical attributes to quote unquote prove it, like masculine jawlines and male eyes, or two small hips that a woman wouldn't be able to birth through. One bikini pic of Taylor Swift shows a bit of a pronounced uh, pubic mound. And the conspiracy nutters never have seen naturally naked women, yet must be a penis. Oh my god. Uh. <sighs> oh my god. Uh, QAnon, all of its insanity, but the most crazy and unbelievable part is that they consider Trump to be a genius. It's definitely conspiracy. <laughs> One of the wildest ones is that Charlemagne's grandson moved the calendar forward 300 years and thus the dark ages never happened what how are people coming up with this stuff seriously i mean they must be really high right <laughs> something <laughs> uh, mass shooting victims being crisis actors a majority of my church i grew up with was shot up with a lot of people i cared about and loved in it many who are dead now the amount of brain-damaged fucking idiots that are willing to openly discuss your dead friend being a crisis actor was infuriating and caused me to abandon so many relationships with dumbasses who genuinely fell for some of the bullshit that was spread. The bullshit Alex Jones put Sandy Hook families and others through makes me cringe. People can be so cruel and shitty and, and stupid sometimes. It's literally the craziest shit that I've had to, I had a hard time unpacking. So what, they think they're just actors? Yeah, Is that they what think, they're saying? Yeah, they think that these mass shootings didn't happen. So the, like when you see people, like victims' families and stuff on news or like press conferences or whatever, that they're actors. Why, why, they, why well, would they do that? I mean, to get the country, um, fighting about guns and gun control and all that shit oh my god that's what they think which i have seen so 
I have seen a clip of this one guy who was supposed to be the parent of one of the Sandy Hook children that was killed. And before he goes up to the podium, he's like laughing and stuff with these people. And then he turns around, he like takes a deep breath and he walks up to the podium and he's like all sad and shit. It's weird. Hmm. It is weird. I don't know. Well, maybe there's more shit going on than we know about. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Any of these could be true. Who knows? I mean, these <laughs> all could be true. Who knows? Nasal eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, is not true. <laughs> I don't care what you say. What? You don't think the earth is flat? No, no, no. <laughs> Okay, I randomly heard recently that they get transplanted kidneys out of prisoners. Not deceased donors, not kidney donors who agree to donate, but people who are in the American penal system. Well, maybe that should be happening. (laughs) (laughs) You took a life, we take a kidney. (laughs) But only to people where it's totally like you know they did it yeah (laughs) yeah not the ones that were incarcerated and they didn't actually do it yeah there's so they have to be yes they have to be a hundred percent there's guilty then we take your kidney then we can take your kidney if if we're not sure we won't take your kidney (laughs) (laughs) well that would probably keep people out of jail maybe that might yeah. that might help. You'd be like, "Congratulations, you murdered someone. You have now donated a kidney." Yes, it's just like in the you know other countries where they chop off your hand for theft. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, that keeps people from thieving, yeah. doesn't it? Well, if you don't have a hand, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely won't well, be before stealing before that. <laughs> oh, and other people. Yeah. Yes. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> uh, and the last one that owning chickens are a gateway drug to believing conspiracy theories oh my god (laughs) they couldn't just want fresh eggs you know (laughs) that's funny (laughs) i think it's just hillbillies that own chickens (laughs) i could be wrong actually i see people with like chickens running around their yards all the time well yeah people will do it so they can get fresh eggs it's very cute yeah and they usually i think they end up giving the eggs away because they get so many yeah but i think some people sell them yeah you know fresh eggs yeah not has doesn't have anything to do with conspiracy no no (laughs) all right so i found another book we'll we'll hopefully see if these are better (laughs) okay so this book is beyond the path true tales of terror in the woods by eric lake stay out of the woods yes please well then we wouldn't have these wonderful books that's true that's true (laughs) okay for long for as long as i can remember i've wanted to be a police officer when i was a little kid it was the uniform the gun and the power that drew me in but as i got older it became about my love for helping people i was always a lonely kid a lot more mature than everyone else my age and growing up on a reservation didn't leave a lot of room for outside exploration and diversity that's why when i was finally able to get my dream job i chose to do so off the reservation but close enough to it that if my family ever needed anything while i was on duty i would be the one to respond to their calls 
Also, I grew up believing in a lot of stories that most people would consider urban legends or even fairy tales. But I've seen some things in my life that defy explanation, and the only answer I've ever been unable to come up with was that those old legends passed down through the generations are real and true, and anyone who doesn't at least try to understand that, well, they're the ones living in the fairy tale as far as I'm concerned. However, I never expected to have such an up-close and personal experience with a supernatural, legendary being. It just never occurred to me because, from what I was taught, if you live a good life and leave them alone, they will also leave you alone. Let me tell you about how I came to witness something so supernatural and out of our realm of possibility that it still terrifies and exhilarates me to this very day. Life as a rookie cop was both thrilling and nerve-wracking, a tumultuous journey filled with uncertainty and unpredictability. I had recently joined the small town police force near the reservation I had grown up on, eager to make a difference and prove myself. But the calls I had responded to thus far were nothing more than mundane disputes and petty thefts. That was until the night the woods called out to me. I had heard more stories about these dense, isolated woods that sprawled beyond our town's borders than you can imagine. They weren't just about legends and supernatural beings and beasts, though. There were also many tales of eerie screams and otherworldly sounds that echoed through the forest, stories passed down through generations. The natives on the reservations aren't the only ones with legends around this area of the world. The locals spoke of ancient legends of something lurking in the darkness, something that should remain undisturbed. It was a cold, moonless night when I received the call that would forever change my life. The dispatcher's voice crackled through my police radio, her words sending a chill down my spine. Reports of strange screams and ominous sounds were flooding in from the woods, and my heart raced with a mixture of dread and anticipation. As I sped towards the forest in my patrol car, my mind raced, contemplating the unknown terrors that might await me. I couldn't help but wonder if this was some sort of initiation, a test of my mettle as a rookie cop. My training had taught me to be prepared for the unexpected, but nothing could have prepared me for the darkness that loomed beyond those trees. The journey into the heart of the forest was an eerie one. The narrow winding road was enveloped in inky blackness, and the dense canopy above obscured the few stars that dared to peek through. The silence was deafening, broken only by the hum of my engine and the haunting whispers of the wind. I had never been to this particular forested area before, because, as I had already said, it wasn't on the reservation. I lived a sheltered and isolated life, and this was far beyond the borders of where I'd ever been allowed to go as a kid growing up. I've passed by the forest many times as an adult and noticed it in my periphery when I would ride past on patrol, but I had never entered into it. I think from the very moment I saw it and heard what the locals said lurked and roamed in there, I knew it was something not to be messed with. I'm very superstitious and believe wholeheartedly in the paranormal, so when locals in the area tell me a place is haunted, I am inclined to listen. The dispatcher had been vague about the nature of the reports, mentioning only that the screams were deeply unsettling. She cautioned me to be cautious, to await further instructions upon my arrival. My heart pounded as I approached the coordinates, my patrol car's headlights cutting through the oppressive darkness like a beacon in the night. The forest came into view, and I parked my car at the edge of the woods. I was alone, as my more experienced partner was out of town on vacation. 
The situation felt surreal, a mix of adrenaline and trepidation that left me questioning the sanity of my decision to become a cop. As I ventured further into the woods, the strange sounds grew louder, an eerie cacophony that seemed to emanate from all directions. The air was thick with tension, and my every instinct screamed at me to turn back. I wished for the comforting presence of my mentor, Officer McAllister, who had taught me everything I knew about police work. I longed for my great-grandmother, who knew how to ward off the evil spirits of the forests and the lands around it, or at least how to get rid of them and keep them at bay. But I was alone, with nothing but the dark trees for company. The echoes of the screams became more distinct, and I strained my ears to pinpoint their source. The forest seemed to come alive with unsettling noises like the agonized cries of a tortured soul. Branches cracked underfoot and the underbrush rustled with unseen movement. My flashlight swept over the gnarled trees, casting eerie shadows that seemed to dance with malice. My heart thundered in my chest as I ventured deeper into the forest, the disorienting sounds leading me further into the unknown. That's when I saw it, a pair of yellow eyes gleaming in the darkness. I froze, my heart in my throat, as I aimed my flashlight toward the source. A massive wolf stood before me, its fur bristling with menace, its fangs bared in a menacing snarl. I knew wolves were common in these parts, but something about this one sent shivers down my spine. It wasn't an ordinary wolf. There was an intelligence in its eyes, a malevolence that was unmistakable. It watched me with a predatory intensity, sizing me up as though I were its prey. My training kicked in, along with my upbringing, and I reached for my sidearm, my trembling hand gripping the cold steel. I aimed it at the creature, ready to to defend myself if necessary. I had been taught to handle situations like this, but the rules seemed to blur in the eerie glow of the flashlight. The wolf and I stood in a tense standoff, neither of us making a move. I hoped that my presence would be enough to deter it, to send it slinking back into the shadows where it belonged. But the wolf remained resolute, its growls growing louder and more menacing. Then, with a sudden, unnatural fluidity, the wolf began to transform. Its body contorted, limbs shifting and elongating, fur giving way to sickly grayish flesh. At first I thought it was just a trick of the light, or perhaps of the mind, but then it dawned on me that it was really happening. I wanted to run, but couldn't. It was like watching a terrible car accident and wanting to look away, but being unable to. Every ounce of my being and my body was aching to run, screaming in terror from the monstrosity before me, but all I could do was witness it all. I watched in horrified fascination as it transformed into something more than a beast, but less than human, a creature that should only exist in the darkest of the myths and legends I had so often been taught about as a child and young adult. The transformation was grotesque and painful to witness. The creature that had once been a wolf now stood before me as a werewolf, its snarling maw filled with dagger-like teeth. Its eyes retained that same malevolent intelligence, and its posture exuded a predatory confidence. Fear and disbelief gripped me as I struggled to comprehend the surreal nightmare unfolding before me. My training had never prepared me for this. I had been trained to handle criminals, not creatures of the supernatural. This was beyond the scope of anything I could have imagined. The werewolf snarl deepened and it lunged at me with incredible speed and force. Panic coursed through my veins as I fired my weapon, the deafening shots reverberating through the forest. The bullet struck the creature, but it seemed unfazed. 
its monstrous form closing the distance between us with each leap. I stumbled backward, my mind racing for an escape, but the nightmarish creature was relentless. It clawed at me with unnatural strength and searing pain erupted as its razor-sharp claws tore into my flesh. I cried out in agony, my flashlight falling to the forest floor. Desperation fueled my struggle, and I continued to fire my weapon. The gunshots echoing through the forest as though it were a battlefield, but the creature seemed impervious to my bullets, its monstrous form undeterred. In a final act of desperation, I swung my flashlight like a makeshift weapon, striking the creature across the face. The blow momentarily disoriented it, and I disoriented it, and I used the opportunity to scramble away, my heart pounding and my body aching. I didn't look back as I fled through the dark woods, every step filled with terror and the realization that I had encountered something beyond the realm of possibility. The echoes of the creature's growls and the nightmarish encounter haunted me as I stumbled through the forest. Eventually, I found my patrol car and sped back to town, my wounds throbbing with pain. I was covered in dirt, blood, and fear, my mind reeling from the surreal encounter with the werewolf. The dispatcher's voice on the radio was filled with concern, instructing me ret to return to the station immediately. I told her I had been attacked by a wolf, but that I had gotten away relatively unscathed, physically at least. That would explain all the snarling noises, screams, howls, and gunshots she heard without me having to put myself at risk for reassignment due to mental health issues. I never spoke of the ordeal to anyone, and the incident remained shrouded in secrecy. The forest's sinister secrets and the existence of supernatural creatures were not to be shared with the world. I underwent medical treatment for my injuries, and my encounter with the werewolf became a nightmarish memory. I hope to forget. But I can never escape the image of those yellow eyes, the snarl of a creature that should not exist. It was a reminder that there are forces beyond our understanding standing, lurking in the shadows, waiting to be uncovered. The night the woods called out to me, I was forever changed. A rookie cop had glimpsed the unimaginable and lived to tell the tale. Several times, some of the older members of my family would randomly start talking about the creatures in the woods, like the werewolves and the other shapeshifters. There must have been something on my face because they would almost always ask me afterwards if I had ever seen anything like that. They only asked me and two others, and those two others admitted to their experiences. The elders knew, but they never forced anything out of me. Maybe one day I will tell them, but the problem is, I feel like if I do, I will then initiate into some sort of secret club of those who got a peek into the unknown, and I don't want that. I don't ever want the unknown to peer back at me again. Thank you for allowing me to get this off my chest. It feels like a huge weight has been lifted off of me, and I hope my story will help other people come to terms with all their experiences that they couldn't help but keep a secret. That is fucked up and weird. So when you first started telling me the story, I thought Bigfoot, mm -hmm. like screams in the woods. Yeah. So that's that was my thought when, you know, you started telling it. Then he saw a wolf, and I was like, Okay, so that was the werewolf. Mm -hmm. I figured screams and stuff was the human shape-shifting into the werewolf. That's fucked up. Yeah. Then the wolf changed into a werewolf. And then, like, it got a hold of him, and he got it with a flashlight? <laughs> like, the bullets I didn't... didn't... Okay, so, 
I am not a closed-minded person. I do believe there's things out there. You know, there could be Bigfoot. There, Absolutely. You know, yeah. But I am sorry. <laughs> I cannot. Yeah, that's bullshit. I do, I do not believe that there are things that shift into a like a human person into an animal i'm sorry i just don't i don't know i I don't don't. believe that's a thing either i don't believe that at all i don't either but that's why i was so confused because i've never heard a wolf uh, like transferring into a werewolf i thought werewolves were basically a mix of humans and wolves yeah basically i mean there's obviously something else supernatural in there but I've never heard of a wolf turning into a werewolf before. That's just fucking weird. And if you're going with, like, the werewolf scenario in culture anyway, if he got scratched... That's exactly what I was thinking. He's a werewolf now, too. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, if you haven't shapeshifted into a werewolf yet, sir, (laughs) I don't believe your story. Well, I don't believe in anyway, either way. So, <laughs> Oh, and also I wanted to mention, Odin has now joined us on the oh. couch. If you hear purring, that is him. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My good friend Emily and I grew up together in Illinois. We lived next door to one another, and most of the time we would hang out in the woods behind our house. We would fish, camp, and really just do nothing together. There were no other kids in the neighborhood except for us, and we were kind of all we had. Our families got along well, and I have some fond memories of that time in my life. There were times in the woods, though, that she and I had some strange experiences. When we would be out there, when the sun was going down, there was always this feeling of not being alone. We would hear strange things, and both of us would be frightened, but also it kind of fascinated us. We, she and I ended up in our teenage years becoming very interested in all things involving and related to the occult. We did a lot of research on everything from spiritual visitations to poltergeist activity and even doppelganger phenomenon. We never did figure out the mystery of the woods, though. Now, as I sit here in retrospect, I wonder if it was one or both of us that the activity was connected to, and the reason I asked myself that question is because of something that happened to Emily and me recently. When we decided to get together after a long time of not seeing one another and go camping in a wooded area not too far from where we grew up. This place is different from the one we grew up playing and hanging out in, but from the very beginning the strange feelings and sensations were the same as they always were. We each invited other friends to come with us as we had moved so far from where we grew up and from one another, but we still always found time on our own to camp and fish in the woods. No one took us up on our invitation, and it was just me and her. We met at my parents' house and loaded my truck up for the hour ride to the site we had chosen. She was going through a hard time at that point in her life, and I was sort of aimless at that time as well. It was like fate brought us back together, and at first I thought it was going to be so that we would finally be together, but I didn't understand the forces working around us or what they had in store for us. I still have no idea why any of it happens or what it all means. I know I'm not a very good writer and hope this story doesn't end up too jumbled for people to really understand what we went through and how it affected me. 
I hope to maybe find some clarity by writing it all down here and continuing to scour the internet looking for similar encounter stories. So here's what happened once we finally set up camp and got comfortable. The fire had dwindled to a feat to a feeble glow, casting long, wavering shadows across the ancient trees that surrounded our campsite. I lay inside my sleeping bag, shivering despite the thick layer of insulation, a chill deep in my bones that had nothing to do with the crisp night air. I tried to focus on the distant rustle of leaves and the occasional hoot of an owl, the comforting sounds of the forest at night, but something felt profoundly wrong. My best friend Emily lay asleep in her tent nearby. Her peaceful breathing was a stark contrast to the unsettling sense of unease that gripped me. It was that old feeling we both would get in those old woods behind our houses. The fire had been her idea, an attempt to ward off the encroaching darkness and the eerie stories we'd heard about these woods. We knew that there were many legends associated with where we were, but that was the case with our old stomping grounds as well. So it wasn't anything new, and it didn't change how we felt about the place, one way or another. As a seasoned camper, I usually reveled in the tranquility of the wilderness, but not tonight. That serenity had been shattered. I couldn't help but feel watched, as though a thousand unseen eyes were fixed upon me, their gazes drilling into my soul. I tried to shake off the irrational fear that had taken root in my mind, attributing it to the ominous tales we'd been told around the campfire earlier. But as I lay there, I couldn't deny that something was off. No matter how hard I tried, I heard a twig snap in the distance, not a random woodsy sound, but a deliberate break. My heart began to race, and I strained my ears to pick up any movement. There it was again, a shuffling as if someone or something was creeping through the underbrush. Swallowing hard, I unzipped my sleeping bag and reached for the flashlight beside me. I shone the beam into the dark wilderness, my breath catching in my throat. I saw nothing, just the silhouettes of gnarled trees and tangled vines. My mind, always so rational, raced with irrational fears. I knew I had to check on Emily. Perhaps my imagination was getting the best of me, but the idea of being alone in this deep, remote forest was too much to bear. With my flashlight in hand, I quietly approached her tent, unzipping it just enough to peer inside. To my relief, Emily was lying there, her chest rising and falling with each slow breath. The sight of her peaceful slumber was a brief balm to my anxious heart, and I retreated from the tent, determined to calm my racing thoughts. I certainly didn't want to disturb her slumber, or wake her up, and tell her what I was sensing, feeling, and what I was hearing in the forest around us. While our experiences and the sensations we felt as kids scared both of us, It seemed like it was a bit too much for her to handle sometimes, and I didn't want to lose her again once the trip was over. I also didn't want it to be cut short because one or both of us were too fearful to stay there the whole time we had planned to. I walked back to the campfire and added more wood, hoping to dispel the eerie feeling that had settled over me. The flames crackled to life, sending sparks dancing into the night sky, but the oppressive sense of being watched remained unrelenting. Minutes passed, maybe hours. I tried my best to relax and call my racing mind like I had always had to do when this happened to me as a child, but the weight of unease never lifted. Then a soft, otherworldly sound reached my ears, a whisper, faint and melodic, like a haunting tune sung by the wind. 
It seemed to emanate from the shadows themselves, a spectral echo of something lurking beyond my sight. A shiver ran down my spine, and I called out to Emily in a hushed voice, hoping she might have heard it too. I figured she had woken up on her own, and a part of me deep down inside was hoping that she had, so I didn't have to deal with the added fear of losing my mind. There was no response from her tent. Fear gnawed at me, my instincts screaming that something was horribly wrong. I grabbed my flashlight and swung it around, scanning the surrounding forest. My breath hitched when the beam landed on a figure standing by the fire, a figure that looked just like Emily. My heart pounded, and I could hardly breathe as I stared at the doppelganger. She stood there, her eyes vacant, her face an unsettling mask of emptiness. Her lips moved, but no sound emerged. I wanted to scream, to run, but I was paralyzed by a terror I couldn't fully comprehend. The doppelganger suddenly convulsed, contorting into something grotesque and inhuman. Its form shifted and its skin darkened to an abyssal shade. It stretched out its elongated limbs like tendrils of shadow and the very air around it seemed to thicken. I couldn't tear my eyes away from this nightmarish transformation. Then, with a terrifying swiftness, the creature disintegrated into a cloud of darkness, like ash scattering in the wind. The night fell silent once more, and the fire continued to crackle as if nothing had happened. Unable to contain my panic, I burst into Emily's tent, shaking her awake. She stared at me with bewildered eyes, her voice groggy and disoriented. She had been sleeping peacefully the entire time, completely unaware of the horrors that unfolded outside. I stuttered out what I had witnessed, my voice trembling with fear, but Emily dismissed it as a nightmare, attributing it to the eerie ambiance of the forest and the unsettling stories we'd been told. The rational part of my mind clung to her explanation, but I couldn't ignore the ling lingering unease. A small part of my mind suddenly snapped back to the reality that no matter what, I didn't want to scare her and I didn't want her to leave. I smiled at her, apologizing for being so silly, and waking her up and turned to leave. She grabbed my arm and smiled, telling me she appreciated me. It was so genuine, it almost made me forget what had just happened to me. Almost, but not quite. With trembling hands, I zipped up her tent, ensuring her safety. We decided to keep the fire burning and stay awake for the rest of the night. The ominous presence in the woods was undeniable, and the fear that had gripped me refused to loosen its hold. Time crept by an excruciating pace. Each rustle of leaves, every distant hoot of an owl, seemed to, seemed to conspire against us. We sat huddled together, our backs to the fire, too afraid to look out into the darkness that loomed beyond. As the hours ticked away, I couldn't help but wonder if the forest itself sentient was... I don't, that didn't make sense. A malevolent entity that had awakened, us, awakened to torment us. Okay, saying that Emily told me about a time where she had experienced the same thing, only the doppelganger that appeared to her out there was of me. She never told me for fear I would reject her, but what did it all mean? Okay, and that's all I got. So there are doppelgangers in the woods now? That is creepy. I'll see. I don't think I'm going to read these stories anymore because I, you know... We've heard many, many doppelganger stories, mm -hmm. but have we heard any where they like shift into a weird creature? Well, what I got from that is, well, I didn't 
think it shifted into a creature. I thought it shifted into like a dark shadow and like dissipated. Well, it shifted, yeah. Which in the doppelganger stories that we we've heard, they don't ever see them like they're always like walking around a corner. Yeah, or... exactly. They don't So I mean maybe that is what happens when they go back to where they came from. Who knows? I don't know. Those stories just seemed a little bit too out there for me. Maybe. All right. This week I have um, when people's guts told them stuff. And they listened, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I like those stories. So not mine, but my mother's story. I was five and walking with my mom to visit a friend. We were going to have lunch and see her new kitten. We walked up the driveway and my mother stopped to look at the front of the house. She noticed all the windows facing the street were closed with the curtains down. This is very unusual for her friend who enjoyed watching birds at the feeders placed throughout the yard. She quickly picked me up and began to back down the driveway. I protested that I was hungry and wanted to see the kitten. My mom hushed me and carried me home. This was in the late 70s before cell phones. She called her friend several times and called my father and asked him to check on her friend as she was worried. My mom was right to be worried. Her friend had been raped and murdered by an intruder. He was never caught. Something about those closed drapes warned my mother away from that home and may have saved us from an encounter from an evil person. Ooh. That gave me chills. That is creepy. Next one, I was pregnant in the very early weeks, five or six weeks, and started getting these intense pains on the right side of my abdomen. It was so extremely painful that I woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't make a noise or move. I went to my doctor the next day and he said I was being hysterical and it's completely normal to be in pain when you're pregnant. What? No, it's not. Let me find a new doctor. He's no shit. He refused to get me to an OBGYN and said I could go private if it was such a big deal. Oh my God, what a fucking dick. I went to a private scan and my pregnancy was ectopic. Mm, imagine that stuck in my fallopian tube yeah that's not painful at all you're hysterical oh my god my tube had ruptured and i was bleeding internally oh (laughs) my god oh my god i was rushed to the hospital and had surgery to remove my tube that night if i hadn't been booked that scan i would have died in my sleep and the night uh, in that night due to internal bleeding Oh, my God. I bet that doctor was going on vacation or something. Or is just stupid. Yeah. Oh. Anyway. Not me, but my mom when I was a kid. She came home in the middle of the day, and our family dog just seemed off when she greeted her at the door. She would settle down, but wouldn't leave my mom alone and just seemed agitated. Now, she was an extremely anxious dog who'd get terrified by the most innocuous things, so my mom easily could have just written this off as our pup being her anxious self. But my mom couldn't shake the feeling that she was desperately trying to tell her something. So she loudly declared in a sing-song voice that it was time to go for a nice long walk. Then she left the house and called my dad. When we got home, the door to our basement was wide open. A bunch of electronics were missing, and the stereo in my bedroom upstairs had been partially disassembled. So we figured that when she walked in the front door on the main floor of our house, there were at least two burglars in the house with her. One at the basement below who ran out the back door, and the other was in my room upstairs who ended up trapped by my mom's arrival and didn't leave until my mom loudly announced that she was leaving with the dog. 
Who knows what would have happened if she hadn't listened to her instincts and ended up running into the burglars upstairs. Oh, that's scary. And she didn't listen to her instincts. That was her dog. Yeah. That puppy was like, listen, bitch. <laughs> we need to go. Glad you're home, but let's get out of here. <laughs> Next one. I was a rower in high school and college. We practiced on a massive river in my city, and there were tourist boats, rowing teams, and sailboats, you name it. One day, I was leading a four-seater and sitting at the stern of the boat when I noticed a small sailboat coming toward us with some serious speed, but I didn't say anything because those boats can turn on a dime. I looked over again a few seconds later and thought to myself, they aren't going to turn, even though they easily could have. I screamed for more pressure and everyone was confused, but they did it anyway. Less than 10 seconds later, the sailboat crashed into us, missed my torso by about six inches, snapped my oar in half, bruised two of my ribs, and crushed the stern of the rowing shell. Without the extra bit of power, I would have died, and some of my teammates would have most likely been seriously injured. Holy shit. Dang. I was driving along a rough mountain road heading home from work. The mountain pass ends at a lake, and you drive around the lake to meet up with the main road. I got to the bottom of the mountain and started down the lake road and saw this stunning bright rainbow over the lake. I had this weird gut feeling and urge to stop and look at it. With the way the sun was shining, it didn't make sense that there would be a rainbow, but it was mesmerizing. So I stopped and stared at it in awe. A couple of seconds later, as soon as I looked back at the road, a massive boulder came barreling down off the cliff above about 20 meters in front of me, hit the road, and smoked all of the concrete barriers as it went into the lake. I would 100% would have been killed by... Uh, if I hadn't stopped. Ooh, where did the wow. rainbow come from? That was a fucking guardian of some sort. Wow. They were like, look, pretty rainbow. Stop. <laughs> Hurry. Pretty rainbow. <laughs> rainbow where it shouldn't be. Look. Seriously, who stops to look at a rainbow? Yeah, usually you're just like, oh, that's cool. And, and you drive just keep on, on going. Weird. My husband and I were snorkeling in the late afternoon, early evening in Hawaii on our honeymoon. It was this beautiful bay, and the marine life was unforgettable. My husband got excited and waved for me to swim out farther as to swim out farther to where he was. He's a very strong swimmer and likes to push boundaries as well. When I got there, there were all these fish tightly packed into the rocks. Hundreds of them were squishing in as tight as possible. When I saw that, my gut feeling was, we need to get the fuck out of here. He didn't realize this was a fear response from the fish and was so excited to see so many. I begged him to get out of the water. Something was wrong. Fish don't behave like this. I got desperate and even tried pulling him along with me. Finally, instinct took over and I took off back to the shore. He followed me around 10 minutes later, annoyed that I have cut off the swim. The next day, it was on the news that a tiger shark had been in the area and attacked two locals. Mm -hmm. One man lost a leg. Now, I'm not saying that the tiger shark was there licking its chops, but could have been something else that spooked the fish. But now my husband listens to me when I have gut feelings. <laughs> Bet he does. <laughs> I went to the gas station for snacks, and something just told me to park in a spot a second away from the door instead of the one directly in front. 
About 15 minutes later, a truck comes flying through that very spot into the door and out of the back wall. Hmm. The most surreal moment of my life. Wow. Yeah, that would be fucking crazy. Uh, In middle school, I was up late one night. My mom and brother were asleep and my dad had gone on business. I had left the dog out and when I went to go get him, I got a bad feeling that someone was out there. There wasn't really a reason to feel this way. It was just dark, but I got spooked, so I put the chain lock up on the back door when we got back inside. Uh, Back then, we never locked our doors. A few minutes later, the dog is drinking by the back door and suddenly stops and starts growling like a low grumble at the door. I was sitting where I could see the dog, but not the door. Then I hear the door pull open and the chain lock catch. The dog started barking like crazy, and I ran upstairs to wake my brother up. He went out and looked around, but there was no one there. I think the dog's barking scared them away, but I don't know who was out there or what would have happened if I hadn't locked the door. Hate stories like that. I know. Thank God they locked the door. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone was at home but my brother. I was chilling in the living room, and my mom was in her room. My mom comes barreling out of her room, out of breath, in an absolute panic. She grabs my arm and says, when's the last time you talked to your brother? I told her to relax and that he had just left for a ride on his motorcycle. She wouldn't relax and made everyone call him. She called him multiple times. At first he wouldn't pick up, but then finally did. He did have, he had been hit by an SUV maybe five miles from our house and the SUV took off. He ended up in a ditch, but he was wearing his protective gear, and thankfully the car hit the bike, not him. Just a couple of bruises. Somehow she knew the moment it happened. Mothers truly know everything. Fuck yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) There were about four of us in the car. My friend was driving, and our friend in the back yelled to stop the car immediately, even though we had a green light we were coming up on. A semi ended up blowing through the red light. He later said he felt like it wasn't even him saying it, and he had no idea why he yelled it, other than a bad feeling. Ooh. That's weird. Yeah. I was up in northern Pennsylvania and had a gut feeling I needed to turn around and walk out of the woods I was hiking. It turned out to be a good idea because I saw a big cat that was tracking me on my way out. Mm. Holy shit. Mm. When my mother was in high school, she and her best friend were arguing over who was going to take a ride on the back of their guy friend's new motorcycle. My mom lost the argument and her friend got on the back of the motorcycle and rode away. She never saw them again because her friend and the guy were both killed in an accident during that ride. Oh my gosh. Holy shit. Just don't ride motorcycles. Seriously, they're so dangerous. The only people that need to ride motorcycles are people in sunny states that's always warm and it saves on gas. That's it. If you have a long commute, I could see maybe getting a motorcycle. But other than that, they're just dangerous. And it's usually not the people on the motorcycles. It's usually people that don't see them. Yeah. Uh, this guy invited me over for wine when I was new in L.A. When I got there, he was just being weird and said, let's wash your feet. What? took me by surprise and i took off (laughs) (laughs) why (laughs) well that's totally normal Uh, years later he is currently in jail waiting for a trial for murders of two women he apparently drugged in his apartment Uh. well yeah he 
he probably offered to wash their feet too yep weird when i was 13 i was walking to the bus stop in the morning a car was going through my neighborhood very slowly which made alarm bells go off in my head it went past me and i glanced over my shoulder to keep an eye on it and saw it doing an immediate u-turn i noped right out of there and drove and dove through the bushes crossed a bunch of driveways and found a neighbor who was washing his car I looked back to where I had been standing and the strange car had stopped. A seriously scary looking dude got out and was looking in the bushes. I don't know if I would have died exactly, but I would have not had a good time. Mm. Nope. That's super sus. I was driving uphill behind a flatbed truck carrying I-beams. I envisioned them sliding off the truck and hitting my windshield. I changed lanes so I wasn't behind the truck, and two seconds later, the I-beams were sliding off onto the road where my car would have been, sparking and gouging the pavement. It was terrifying. To this day, I won't stay behind trucks with anything strapped down. Yeah, I try to steer clear of those, too. Yeah, you just, you can't trust that. And those were mine for the week. Alrighty. It's time for the witty wrap-up. Yay, witty wrap-up! My four-year-old said she's scared to become a grown-up because she doesn't know how to do the gas station. (laughs) She has no idea how real she's being right now. (laughs) Yeah, you don't know how to do anything. You just got to figure it out. (laughs) Six-year-old. Was I born naked? Me? Yeah. Six-year-old. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) That's not your fault. I love that my son is the same annoying as me, so we can annoy his dad together. It's how we bond. That's so nice. My kid has taken to only grunting at me, and honestly, I think this is an improvement. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) 13-year-old, I need cool clothes. Me, I think your clothes now are pretty cool. 13-year-old, that's the problem. What? Because the parent thinks they're cool. My daughter just asked me if my parents are still alive, so I had to explain again that the lady that has lived with us since she was born, known as her Mimi, is in fact my mother. <laughs> that is weird when you're a kid, I think. Yeah, I think, you just don't yeah, get it. They don't get the yeah. familial thing. <laughs> my kid hasn't finished her homework, but she did call a family meeting to show us the 20-slide presentation she created on why she could get a cat. That's adorable. Yes. She deserves credit for that. Yes. That's extra credit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My kids no longer believe in Santa. Tell me, what am I supposed to threaten them with now? Who am I supposed to imaginary call in a crisis? Hmm. God, maybe? I don't know. It's <laughs> a very good question. That is a good question. You just, you just threaten to take their phone. Yeah, there you go. That'll do it. <laughs> I just told my toothbrushing eight-year-old to move it around some, don't just suck on it, and I didn't even laugh, so I'm de- I'm nailing this parent gig. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. I would have laughed. <laughs> I would have, too. <laughs> me, sorry I'm late. My toddler made me find his blue socks. Friend without kids, I don't believe a three-year-old can make you do anything. Oh, they don't have kids. No. <laughs> Not at all. Putting one kid to bed. Bedtime is at 7. No later. Putting two kids to bed. You can stay up and read for 20 minutes. 
putting three kids to bed. You can watch Cocaine Bear with me as long as you're quiet. <laughs> Just don't say anything. (laughs) Asked my 12-year-old daughter how her babysitting business was going, and she said it's tough when some people don't even charge for their services. Grandparents are my biggest competitors. (laughs) That's funny. My daughter very gently told me that she would like to be in charge of Christmas decorations this year instead of me because she'd like our home to look better. Oh, punk. (laughs) Cleaning up after young kids means constantly having to guess whether stuff like this is garbage or the single most important possession of that five-year-old daughter own, that that your five-year-old daughter owns at this moment. And it's a picture of a cup with some um, popsicle sticks glued to it. Oh, that is very important stuff. Yes. <laughs> we just got a report that our kid has spent 34,721 minutes listening to one song in case you were thinking of having kids. Oh my god. That's hilarious. One song. Oh my god. Not me once again breaking something in the house that I've repeatedly warned my children to be careful with. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> My kid's wish list at age six, an adorably misspelled handwritten request for toys. My kid's wish list at age 14, a professionally designed slideshow (laughs) with links to big ticket items that ends with the phrase, open your hearts and your wallets. Oh, God. My son asked for a new hoodie for Christmas, so for convenience and to save time, I'm having it shipped directly to his girlfriend's house. (laughs) That's great. We hide all our presents in big boxes marked vegetables because we know the kids will never go near them. (laughs) That's smart. And my last one, there's only one type of person that buys a child's drum set and that person is revenge gifting. (laughs) Yes, that is true. And yes, I have done that. (laughs) Or it's a sibling and they think it's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, I've I've done done that that too. too. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, it was great. It was great. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I loved it though. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much for listening. Send in your stories, uh, goalsnightoutpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen, and we will talk to you next week. Later, bye.